Hello and welcome to Sabbath School Quarterly Commentary. This is your pure gold commentary podcast. And as the name suggests, this is a commentary. It's not a study guide. So grab your study guide if you're not driving or running while listening to us. My name is Morgan Vincent. And in this week's episode, we have Jacob Ellis. Thank you, Jacob, for joining us again. Pleasure to be here. We're going to be discussing the theme of waiting in the crucible. And I don't know about you, Jacob, but I don't like waiting. Neither do I, especially if it's something good. Especially if it's something good. I don't like waiting for, well, I don't like waiting in lines. I don't like waiting in traffic. I don't like waiting at airports. I don't like waiting for really anything. Waiting for marks or waiting for this, that or the other. But someone once said to me that while we're waiting, we need to do what waiters do which is serve. But it's not a joke. It's kind of a play on words. But when we're waiting, what do we do when we're waiting? Are we actively waiting or are we passively waiting as well? And so we're going to jump straight into the discussion of what do we do and how do we make sense of waiting in the crucible? In Romans chapter 5, verse 3, Paul states that we should glory in tribulation. Why? Because tribulation produces patience. And patience or long-suffering is one of the fruits of the Spirit according to what Paul says. So evidently we can see the importance of waiting because of what it produces, that being a fruit of the Spirit. So I guess with that in mind, Jacob, we want to look at some of the key Bible texts and the lessons that we can draw from that, which teach us of how to patiently wait while in that crucible of suffering. And sometimes we don't know how long that waiting will be when we're in the crucible. And that's the most painful part. Right? You think of it, if you were to just know how long it was going to be for. If I was to know, okay, situation X, whatever it is, if I was to know, okay, it's going to take five years or two years or one year or whatever, I'd be happy to wait a bit longer if I only knew how long it was for. doesn't really work like that because the point is I probably wouldn't learn long to be long-suffering. I wouldn't learn patience through that. I'd merely just learn to have things my own way. And essentially up until that point of when situation X is resolved, I'd just probably do my own thing. But we're going to be looking at some biblical characters and verses of how we can learn about waiting and patience as well. Let's just jump straight into it. And I want to look at some of the Hebrew words for what it means to wait patiently. Psalms 37 and verse 7 speaks of this, and we're going to come to that a little later. But the word waiting, this idea of waiting patiently upon the Lord, it comes from this Hebrew word that can be quite literally translated to be much pained, to shake, to tremble, to be wounded, to be sorrowful. So evidently, and we know this from personal experience as well, is that learning patience isn't easy. It's not something that is is the very essence of what it means to be in the crucible, but yet we want to take matters into our own hands. We want to do things our own way, but that's not really the way it's going to unfold best. Elijah. Jacob, what does the story of Elijah teach us about patience? It teaches us to wait on God. Ultimately, Elijah, he's done some awesome things for God, really awesome things for God, where we can talk about the Mount Carmel experience, where he's against, where he's the only one standing up for God, and he's defeated all these prophets of Baal, defeated King Ahab uh, through God's might, that mind you, but he's the only one standing there. He's the only one testifying to the God of heaven, and he is victorious. So he has some great experiences, but there are times also where he doesn't wait so much, especially in the tribulation. Mm. And at one point, he's the queen, Queen Jezebel, threatening to kill him. And instantly, he's on a run. There is no waiting. There is no prayer. 
he's just run straight to the desert that there is no waiting at this point. And I don't know about you, would you blame him? He's on the run for his life. I wouldn't be waiting to see what God's got to say, but it wasn't waiting on God in that point. It wasn't patient of, oh God, what's going to happen here? And he finds himself somewhere exactly where God's like, oh, what are you doing here? Yeah. It's almost like this wake up call. It's quite clear that he doesn't wait on God. And I think sometimes we don't want to be so, I don't know. I want to be a little kind to, to people like Elijah and say, look, I don't know what I'd do if I was in his situation. So let's hold that intention as well. But here, objectively looking at it, Elijah, he flees for 40 days and nights to a cave. And as you said, God essentially says, what are you doing here? What is a prophet of God doing in the cave? In the middle of nowhere. Right. Running from God and what God wants to do in and through his room as well. And so evidently Elijah's fear caused him to run and find himself in the wrong place when we're not waiting on God. And I love this here, like to wait patiently on the Lord, to wait upon God. It gives a sense of direction and focus in the waiting. It's not saying waiting on myself, waiting on my teacher, waiting on my family member, waiting on whoever it is. It's we're waiting on God. So in the waiting, our focus is on God which is very important to remember because in the waiting and in that crucible, during those trials, those difficulties, we can be very tempted to lose focus of God. But if we can remember and be focused on him during those times of waiting, it's going to make it bearable, I believe. Yeah, go. And it adds a different, when we do wait on God, it adds a different perspective. Right. So What's for, the perspective? Well, in Elijah's case, yep. so there's a, to answer that question, there's a bigger reality going on. So for Elijah, he sees that, okay, there's a threat that his life is going to end. And then what does he tell God? He says, I'm the only one left. And God says, hang on, you're not the only one left. So from Elijah's perspective, he sees that he's the last one and that's it. I've got to preserve me. Whereas God's saying, hey, I see something you can't see. So when we're waiting on God, we're waiting for his perspective, mm. a perspective that is far bigger than our perspective. And yes, it's a challenge, especially when your life is at stake like Elijah's, or in our situation, if we're in that difficult time, it is hard. But the reward in that is that we get a bigger perspective, which is God's perspective, which he sees, not that we see, mm. or that we can't see. I like that perspective. That's a really good point, Jacob. And you touched on this before. Elijah should have been full of faith and trust, but instead he's running in fear for his life. And we can learn that, that from this situation, when we rush, we can very easily find ourselves in the wrong place. And when we're in the wrong place, wrong things can happen. And in Elijah's case, it was his fear that actually caused him to be overwhelmed and to rush into the desert and into the cave then, wishing that he'd never been born. And again, it's this idea of a pity party. It's like it's, the contrast is so big. He's seen God do incredible things, and now he's running like a chicken to a cave somewhere. Elijah is an example of what it means to not wait on God. There's many other examples of people who, who weren't waiting on God. Another example really for this is Abraham, Abraham and Sarah, or Abram and Sarah. And instead of God's promise of having children on their own in their old age, Abraham and Sarah, they made a little conspiracy. They conspired together to have a child through their um, handmaid, Hagar. Ishmael was born and the effects are still with us today. So, you know, it goes to show that when we're not waiting on God, it's very easy for us to take matters into our own hands, in our own timing, in our own ways. And look at the problems it causes as a result. Right. So then the opposite of waiting is impatience. 
I would propose. Samson, another example of someone who was impatient within the book of Judges. Listeners can't hear, but Jacob's shaking his head. What's, I just said the word Samson. I just named the name Samson. What's going on in, in, in your mind, Jacob? Oh, when you just look at Samson and just how he, yeah, when you look at Samson and all that God had given him, the amount of things that he takes into his own hands yeah. and not waiting on God and the consequence that comes from it to me is absolutely outstanding. So first of all, he desires a woman from a, like a <laughs> Philistine. So yep. yep, exactly what God did not want him to do mm. or his family, I should say as well. He and uh, his lack of patience led him to harlots and eventually to a woman called Delilah who eventually betrayed him to Philistines. And that's where he lost his hair which was the source of his strength that God was giving him. Mm. So he's lost that source from God. You mm. could say God's source and resultly, consequently, his life. So that's a big extreme of things, of problems that happen by not waiting on God. I want to go now, Jacob, to, to the book of Luke. And we want to look at the disciples because they displayed impatience as well. And we, we're going to read, I just want to read a little passage, Jacob, from Luke chapter 9, verses 52 down to 56. And the Bible says this, And they sent messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare him for him. But they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? But he, that is Jesus, turned and rebuked them and said, You do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. So here, the disciples, they show a great amount of impatience. The Samaritan people were from a village, okay, yes, that didn't receive them. But then almost instantaneously, James and John asked Jesus if they should command fire to come down from heaven and consume them. And Jesus is, hold on a minute, you don't know the spirit, you don't know the, the place you are asking that question from. And Jesus, as it says, he turns and rebukes them because he says in verse 56, the son of man didn't come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. These disciples are working at cross purposes to Jesus. Yes, okay, Jesus wasn't necessarily received, but at the same time, Jesus is saying, look, don't take matters into your own hands here. And so again, we're seeing this reoccurring theme of what happens when people take matters into their own hands, in their own hands. Jacob, I want to ask a question. What can we learn from this of not waiting on the Lord? We're very e when we don't wait on God or on the Lord, it's very easy to fall into things that are not of God. Hmm. Say it again. When we don't wait on the Lord or we don't wait on God, it's very easy to fall into the things that are not for God. Yeah. Yeah, well. Such as anger or lack of faith, selfish ambition. These are not things of God. So when we wait on God, we want to be, you said before, it's not this passive waiting. It's this, you use the word serve. When you're doing the serving, that's what God wants us to do. Therefore, we're replicating his character through serving. It's therefore not our selfish ambitions. Our mind is therefore focusing on God. So yeah, when we're waiting on God, we're thinking like God. Yep. We have the mind of Christ. Yeah, and it's so important because faith is described as a gift in the Bible. And uh, a gift, well, 
It's something that needs to be cultivated and nurtured and looked after. And I could even say jealously guarded. Our waiting on God is something that, yeah, in one sense we strive for and work for, but in another sense, it's a gift that God gives us, I believe, this ability to wait on him. We've looked at already of how we are no longer looking to the first Adam, but to the second Adam, that being Jesus, where Adam failed, where Adam was impatient. Jesus succeeded and Jesus was patient. And so now because Jesus is the new corporate head of humanity, his, his humanity 2.0, if you will, because of that, Jacob, and for our listeners, it means then that when I sense and see that I'm impatient, I can pray that Jesus would come and live in me and he would work out his patience in and through me. So then it's no longer my impatience, but it's the patience of Jesus. It's the long suffering of Jesus. It's the spirit at work in my life to produce those fruits of the spirit of which is long suffering or patience. I've often thought about this, Jacob, when it comes to 1 Corinthians 13, little segue, but worthy of a point. I don't believe it's by chance that Paul begins explaining love by stating that love is patient. I believe he puts it there first because love would be not really anything if there were no patience. Like it would be one thing, yes, to hope. Love hopes all things. Love believes all things. Love doesn't rejoice in iniquity. It rejoices in truth. Th th these are fantastic things about how we see love demonstrated. But if there is no patience, there's going to be no lasting love. It's like the foundation of love. Yeah. It's almost as though patience is this steadfast commitment throughout, no matter what. Let's look at David. You know, David was someone who learned what it meant to wait on God. Though it wasn't always easy. He, yeah, he had a he had an interesting life. He had a checkered life, but hey, he was an incredible man and person within the story of scripture. So when David was anointed by Samuel to be the next king of Israel after King Saul, did he take the throne soon after his anointing? No. There was Tell us what happens. Th there's a period of time that happens. So if we're following the story, David's been anointed, but then his first role is not seeking to be king, it's serving the king. Yeah, well. The biblical narrative, David says that he went and to calm Saul down of his anger problems, he would go and play the harp. So he was serving the king and he would out be out like a shepherd, just like what he would usually be doing. So he's living his life plus serving other people, if you will. And then there's a time where he has to fight Goliath. The result of that is not him being king, but getting one of the king's daughters. So he's not the, not king then. And then after he's killed Goliath, he's on the run for years because Saul's trying to kill him. Yeah. And there are times where David has the chance to kill Saul, but he doesn't. Mm. And here's a really good example of waiting on God. David doesn't, even though he has this opportunity to end Saul and therefore he'd be king straight away. He says, this is God's anointed king at this time. This is God's appointed king. Yeah, wow. There's a long time from when David was anointed to when he was going to be king to when he is king, but he doesn't take any selfish approach to ensuring that he becomes king sooner. And we're talking about timing here. And I just love how in Ecclesiastes, it speaks of there's a time for everything. And this may sound super cliche, but I'm going to say it anyway. There really is a time for everything. And you can almost sense when it's not the right time through providence and through the working of God and how he leads us through you know, his revealing in scripture and through prayer, like through, through these ways that God communicates to us and reveals himself to us. 
we can just sense that, okay, now's not the right time for things. But then there are times in our lives where it's, like, yeah, that was the right time for that. I just look back in, in my own life and I'm pastoring now, but I haven't always been pastoring. Before that, I was a chaplain and, and a teacher. And, and as I was doing that, that was the best thing for me to do at that time. But then in the space of a couple of months, a lot of things changed. And I can look back now and I can think, wow, the timing of all of that was perfect. I could evidently see God's hand and leading in that. And I can no doubt wonder that it's the same for you, Jacob, and maybe for listeners as well, is that we can see that when God has his timing fulfilled, things just go so much better as well. And so it's the importance of waiting on God. It's not grabbing what God has not yet given. It's not grabbing what God has yet given. What God has given is his spirit. It's faith. It's hope. It's victory. It's repentance. All of these gifts that God has given, they are ours for the taking and they are ours to receive by faith. But yet there are some things that God in his time will reveal. And so this, again, it may require a long time of waiting, but there's hope in all of that. Jacob, I want to look now and add on to this idea of waiting on God. Elsewhere in the Bible, it speaks of delighting yourself in the Lord. What's the connection here? What does it mean to delight in the Lord in connection with waiting on the Lord? So delighting yourself in the Lord, I'd say, is this theme of trusting God and trusting him to act. And it's not getting upset because God's not responding at, at our time. It's trusting him, knowing that he has the bigger picture, that he knows what he's doing and he's going to reveal it at that time and we don't have to figure it out. Yeah. And that's the best thing. Having this relationship with God, we don't have to have everything figured out. We can wait on him. So there's this essence of trust. Yeah, it's true, trusting. And I want to go there to Psalm 37, verse 3 I'll read from. It says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. I just try and get a mental image of that, feeding on his faithfulness. That would sustain us. That would give us sustenance and energy. He's feeding on his faithfulness. Verse 4 says, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Now, in this, you, we could very easily take this out of context and think, this is what I desire, therefore, sure, I should receive it. But when we keep it in context, the, man, the person has first trusted in the Lord. They're doing good. They're feeding on the faithfulness of God. They're delighting themselves in the Lord. And then it says, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. So it's very much a, we would want God to give us the desires of our heart because our heart is in line and in harmony with his will, with his faithfulness. Verse five then goes on to say, commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. Committing your way, it literally means to roll your way. In other words, the burden that is too heavy for us we may simply roll upon the Lord. It's beautiful. It reminds me of Pilgrim's Progress. Here's this pilgrim who's going through life. He's going through his journey. He's got this burden, but he reaches the place of Calvary and there rolls his burden away. He rolls it onto the Lord. And for us, as we're in the waiting, in the crucible, we can commit our way to the Lord. We can roll it onto the Lord as, as well. And uh, we can learn a lot from this as well. Let's now go to, in our closing moments, Paul. We've come a long way and we've spoken a lot, but I want us to end with Paul's counsel to the readers in Romans 5. What's there, Jacob, for us to hold on to? And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Now, hope does not disappoint 
because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So you see that there's this, we're producing something else. Yeah. I think you touched on that at the start is that we're not just waiting. Yeah. But something is happening in the waiting. And I want to go on, Jacob, as we bring things to a close. In, in, in verse six, the very next verse, it says, for when we were still without strength in due time, or other translations may say at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And so here we see that God's timing knows no haste nor delay. And as we are waiting in the crucible, we can we can hold on, we can have faith, we can have trust in his promises, we can delight ourselves in the Lord, we can feed on his faithfulness, we can do all of these things because we know that as God is working things out for us, we can work in harmony with him, we can work in cooperation with him. And so even though we may normally be impatient, through the Holy Spirit, incredible things can happen. The fruit of the Spirit can become evident in our lives as well. And as we wrap up now, Jacob, we do need to wait patiently when we are in the crucible. But when we are to wait for the Lord to work, we show that we are trusting and believing in Him and working in harmony with Him as well. So any closing thoughts, Jacob? And when we wait on God, we, when we talk about the desires of our hearts, He'll give us the desires of our hearts. It's not just what we ask for or expect. We, I don't know about you, but I can testify that God goes way beyond yes. that. He pours out so much that we're like, oh my, it's overwhelming. So when we do wait on God, we can expect that overflowing yeah. desire of happiness rather than, and when we don't wait on God, yeah, we may have that temporary satisfaction, but it's nothing compared to what God can actually give. Yeah, I like that. Jacob, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. It's been good. Pleasure. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on today's episode. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. If you like the conversation, tell your friends. You can subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you are listening right now. Sabbath School Quarterly Commentary is a production of the Sabbath School Department of the North New South Wales Conference. This week's episode was produced by Henrique Felix and Morgan Vincent. That's it. We'll see you next week.